Hey there, gang. Welcome back to Meddling Kids Podcast, where we cover all things scary and weird for listeners near and far. My name is Edward Chair, and I had COVID. <laughs> okay, let's rewind. My name is Bree. And my name is Cord. And we are roommates who met on Twitter during a pandemic and became... That's a little erotic. That, that little, one? Okay. Yeah. And became... <laughs> That's giving Mary Poppins. <laughs> Anyways. Our mutual interest for true crime and all things spooky and ooky have brought us together to create this gorgeous podcast whose name is heavily inspired by our favorite turn. Favorite cartoon growing up? What the fuck? Our favorite turn. Our favorite... Mm. Anyways. <laughs> we would have gotten away with it if it hadn't been for you meddling kids. Sorry for the hiatus. <laughs> Once again, we had a few technical difficulties over the past month and a half, but we had to keep pushing the... And that's who's that, too. Okay. Yeah, we were going to film, and then... I went to Labrador and I got COVID and got stuck there for like two weeks. And this is just like also a massive case. So it's been a long time coming. Yeah. As Gord Downey once said, it's been a long time running. Um, we're back again with another local Newfoundland case that has been heavily requested. I think it's the second most requested case. It is. Um, and this will be our season finale for season Oh, I can't speak English today, apparently. <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, so we're getting ready to go and film our TV show. So we're going to be really busy for the next few months, and we figured we're just going to end this season off, and that way we can just really focus on the show and then come back when we're ready with a fresh new season. Yeah, back and better than ever. <laughs> um, as Wait. always, should we take them off? Yeah, yeah okay. Our usual disclaimer, we do not intend to disrespect anyone involved in our podcast. We gather all of our information from online, books, articles, and with that being said, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Uh, before we, before I give our little intro into this, I do want to say that all of the information uh, sourced... What, what am I saying? All of the information we have for this podcast is from one book. It's from a book written by Colleen Lewis. And Jennifer... Um, Jennifer Hicks. Yeah. So that's where all of our information comes from. And also, this episode does discuss the deaths of two children, physical abuse and mental abuse. All right. All right. Meddling Kids Podcast, Season 2 Finale, A Tragedy in Gander Lake. Most Newfoundlanders have heard about this case, seen it on the news, or even read the book written by Colleen Lewis called Mr. Big. But if you have not heard of this at all, you're about to hear one of the most tragic things that has ever happened on the island of Newfoundland. Before we get into the case itself, I think it's important we get into the history behind how any of this came to be. We are going to start at the very beginning, and like most tragedies, this begins with two people falling in love. Her name was Jennifer Hicks. And his name was Nelson Hurt. Jennifer Hicks was born in Musgrave Harbor, Newfoundland and Labrador in 1974 and was the youngest of four daughters. Her mother, Gertrude, was a home care worker and her father, Cyril, used to be a cook on the, and a fisherman, but sadly his career came to an end when a piece of the ship's rigging came loose and hit him so hard in the leg that he became disabled for the rest of his life. She was extremely close with her family. Even as a teenager, she would clean and care for their household as her mother worked all night shifts. She even helped care for her grandparents who also lived with them. Her grandmother had diabetes and her grandfather had cancer, which eventually ended up taking his life. Basically, what we gathered from our research on Jennifer is that she was an outstanding woman who worked hard and loved her family more than anything. Very much that. Yeah. Jennifer was also extremely close with her father, and she knew a father's love was the most valuable gift a daughter could ever know. She spent a lot of her time babysitting throughout her teen years, which is something she loved. It was a well-known fact that Jennifer loved children. She had so much motherly instinct at a young age that it was inevitable that she would want children of her own in the future. 
Jennifer was also extremely close with her older sister, Susan. They were always seen together and very oft- not very often apart. Fast forward a few years, Jennifer's older sister, Susan, is now 21 with three daughters of her own. And Jennifer helped her sister out a lot with the girls, as two of the daughters had cerebral palsy. She really loved her family, and she would do anything for anyone. It's now 1997. Jennifer is now living in Gander, Newfoundland, and decided it was time to make some money for herself. Without a high school diploma, her best bet at the time was to apply for jobs she knew she would be good at. She was very skilled at cleaning and organizing and acquired previous skills at a Chinese restaurant that she used to work at. So she started hanging, handing out resumes at local hotels down the THC <laughs> the CCH in Gander, and she landed a job as a waitress at the Albatross. Started right away. I can like picture all of this, like where all of this is is so I've, weird. I've like never been to Gander. Oh really? Yeah. My dad's from Gander. If you no, didn't know. No, no. Yeah. No, I can like picture all of this just as we get into it. it it's crazy to me. Anyways. So the albatross was a perfect job for Jennifer as she lived in an apartment building that she could walk to in minutes. She didn't have a car, and she was certainly great for the short commute. She literally, so the albatross is like right on the highway, like you pass her gander and the albatross is right there. And then like the apartment buildings are literally like behind the albatross, like it's so close. Enter Nelson Hart. Nelson Hart was born in Gander in 1968. He was raised in Horwood, but then moved back to Gander. Not as not a lot is known about Nelson's past, but through our research, we know that he has a brother named Mervyn Hart who plays a critical role in this case, and their mother whose name is Pearl Hart. We will mention these names throughout the podcast, and we are unsure of any other family members. He did have a third brother, but they don't talk about him in the case, so anyways. Nelson suffered from seizures. Some were minor, but he did also have grand Mal? Is it Grand Mal or Grand Mall? I think I think it's Grand Mall. The seizures were serious enough that he had lost his driver's license. Jennifer had actually just broken up with a boyfriend who she found out was cheating on her and was having a nice gossip sesh with her sister and neighbors. After a well-needed laugh, the sisters headed home to her apartment building. As the sisters... As the sisters... <laughs> As the sisters, there's so many S's. I know. I'm struggling so bad, especially with seizures. That word kills me. I know. The word seizures always fucks me up. I'm going to say epileptic fit from now on. It's no S's in it. We have, why do two women who have such prominent lisps. Yours isn't even bad. Put in so many S words. And my mouth is just full of spit. Okay. Sorry. As the sisters were making their way home, Susan pointed out a... Susan pointed out a guy standing at the end of a walkway. She made a comment wondering who he was and how he was around quite a bit. She thought maybe he lived in their building. Jennifer didn't pay much mind to the man. She shrugged it off while she walked into her apartment. It was a new and ordinary day. Jennifer and her sister Susan needed to run some errands, get groceries, and bring Susan's kids to their doctor appointments at noon. After getting everything in order... They all headed down the stairs of the apartment complex. As they headed outside and crossed the parking lot, Jennifer noticed the odd man once again. He was just standing there, quietly watching. But Jennifer really didn't think anything of it. And there was plenty of strange people who hung around that apartment, especially in the summertime. The village. I don't know what the summer... Anyways, the summertime, I guess. The heat gets people acting crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely all the heat in Newfoundland. <laughs> Yeah. Well, when there's heat in the summer, truly, see, no one's used to it, so they don't know how to act. Truly. That's right. I can't disagree on that one. Take that, Eddie Shear. <laughs> what is this vendetta with Eddie always? He's a skinwalker, and I know it. All right. Anyways. So, the sisters start making their way to the doctor's appointment when suddenly, sudden real... When... Su- <laughs> <laughs> I was doing so well, too. I was killing it. <laughs> suddenly sudden i don't think i've said one sentence right same it's because we're nervous i'm not nervous i'm just exhausted okay. and 
So the sisters start making their way to the doctor's appointment when suddenly Susan realized that she had forgotten all the medications and the paperwork that the specialist in St. John's had given her to take to the family doctor back in Gander. In true Jennifer fashion, she had her sisters back and ran back to the apartment building to grab the medical info that her nieces needed. The plan was for Susan to get the girls to the medical clinic and then Jennifer would run back and meet them there. Jennifer grabbed what she needed from the apartment and headed out the door. She was now rushing to get to the medical clinic for her sister, and she burst through the front door of the apartment complex, but was stopped dead in her tracks. Standing in her path was him, Nelson Hart, the odd man they had seen watching around the apartment building. He was broadly built, and there was nowhere for Jennifer to run. When she tried to run left, he quickly moved his body to the right, and then he smiled. She tried to go to the right, and once again he blocked her. But this time, he laughed. At this point, Jennifer was frustrated and scared, so she did what anyone would do in that situation. She pushed through as hard as she could and finally broke past him. She felt intimidated by the interaction, and as she was walking away, she looked back, and there he was, still laughing. Like a freak. Through one of her neighbors, she found out his name, and he was moving upstairs into building number three. Not a whole lot was known by the neighbors, but she did mention that he had some sort of health issues, and he had a home care worker that took care of him. His mother also would spend a great deal of time over at his place. As this conversation took place with her neighbor, a man who was helping Nelson move into his apartment comes running down the hallway, frantically yelling that Nelson was dying. Jennifer and her neighbors ran into Nelson's apartment, where they found him shaking on the floor and foaming at the mouth. It was a seizure. Jennifer knew what to do as she had seen it happen many times with her own sister. So she put a pillow under Nelson's head and they called the ambulance. Nelson finally came to and Jennifer was glad that she was there to help. The next time she seen Nelson was at one of the neighbor's apartments. Neither of them talked about the parking lot or the seizures. But the more they chatted, the more Nelson started to grow on her. And as time went on, one day Jennifer finally asked Nelson why he blocked her path and laughed at her, as anyone would like to know. And he responded that it was the only way that he could tell her that he liked her. Yes. I feel like maybe just saying, hey, I like you, girl, instead of going, hey, I like you, girl. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? That's exactly how he did it, too. I know it is. Anyways, I was there. So, then Nelson asked Jennifer to go on a date with him, and she said sure. And what Jennifer didn't know was that her fate was sealed. This was the beginning of the end. <sighs> so, they begin dating. Same. That's how I feel. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel. Yeah. And like most relationships, the honeymoon phase was a dream. They were happy. And in October 1997, she went to Nelson's apartment for the first time and was impressed about how clean it was. Nelson explained that the government paid him $300 a month to hire a home care worker and to come look after him because of his seizures. And she helped a lot around the apartment. At that moment, Nelson looked at Jennifer and said, You should move in here. And she responded with, All right, done deal. Two days later, she had packed all of her belongings and moved them into Nelson's apartment. It is now March 1998, probably one of the worst times of the year to travel on the Trans-Canada Highway in Newfoundland. But Nelson and Jennifer decided to go help a friend. Their friend Stacy needed to take a four-hour trip into St. John's to visit her son in the hospital. And she was going to travel via taxi, but was a little scared to go on her own. So she asked Jennifer and Nelson to come along as company. Once they arrived to town, it was clear that the cab driver didn't know his way around the big city at all. But who can blame him? This is St. John's in 1998. It's hard enough to commune around here now, and we have Google Maps. Anyways, (laughs) this led to multiple wrong turns trying to get to the hospital. It literally took them two whole hours of this poor cab driver driving them around to find their destination. I wonder if he was like made them pay that fare though. I don't know. That's crazy to me. Like, I can't, I don't know. I can't, I can't remember what St. John's was like back in 98. Well, I was was living here. I wasn't even born. (laughs) (laughs) To make a long story short, by the time they were finished at the hospital, A spring storm had started to roll in, and the taxi driver decided it was time to embark on his journey back to Gander. Yeah. Anyways. 
Why? I don't know. Pretty shitty day to be rolling it out. Yeah. So the cab driver was flying down the highway. Almost like he was driving a Lancer. Exactly like that. Jennifer was petrified and even yelled at him to slow down. The cab driver finally explained that he had to get the cab back to Gander in two hours and there was no time to spare. For what? I guess he had to get it back. Arrive To alive. dispatch. Well, I'm sure they would have understood. That's it. It was now 2 p.m. and they were close to Clarenville and Jennifer knew they wouldn't make it back in time and she was frightened for her life. This guy was driving like a fucking maniac. <laughs> Jennifer had taken her eyes away from the window for only a second when she looked up and all she could see was trees. The car was going all over the place and finally came to a stop in a ditch. The driver got out first, then her friend Stacy, but Jennifer was afraid to move. She was unsure if she was injured or not, but she quickly came to her senses when she heard Nelson screaming and crying from the front seat. Nelson's head was slumped down between the two seats in a very unnatural position. Jennifer gently grabbed his head and repositioned it up on the back of the seat. I feel like she probably shouldn't have moved him. Yeah, that's scary. But like in that situation, you yeah, what are you going to do? do but. The ambulance arrived and the paramedics placed a neck brace on Nelson, but he continued to scream in pain. At the hospital, everyone was cleared besides Nelson, and Jennifer did not leave his, si- leave his side for a moment. After lots of tests, the doctors sent them home and explained he would need a follow-up treatment back at the Gander Hospital. So they went home, back to their apartment in Gander. Jennifer went to bed, but Nelson wanted to sleep on the couch. After Jennifer got in her pajamas, she thought it was best to check on Nelson once more before she went to sleep. When she seen Nelson on the couch, he was trying to reach the phone. When she asked him who he was trying to call, Nelson replied with, I have to go to the hospital now. Something's not right. At 4 a.m., Nelson and Jennifer were on their way back to St. John's on an air ambulance. It was determined that Nelson had broken his C2 vertebrae and was lucky to be alive. Day and night for 26 days straight, Jennifer never left his side while he was in the hospital. The only time she left was to shower and change. Nelson hated when she would leave. At this point, we see a pivot in their relationship. Nelson starts to become controlling and demanding. I wonder if, like, maybe he suffered some sort of brain injury. I I think so. There's, as we go on, as I was doing research, I was convinced that this man had brain damage. Especially with the epilepsy, too. Like, the accident and the epilepsy, Mm -hmm. like, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, yeah, he's weird before the accident. Mm -hmm. Like, he's described as a weird person, but... I don't know, just after this, it just seems like everything makes a shift. Yeah. Like, he's a different person. Mm -hmm. There was an incident right after the accident where Jennifer caught Nelson talking to himself one night in the the bathroom, but he was only talking to himself and appeared mad. He was, like, looking in the mirror like Jax. And getting angry at himself. He was, like, like, fighting with himself, arguing. Jennifer asked Nelson what was wrong, and he snapped. He became enraged and hysterical, slamming his fist down onto the coffee table and breaking it into two pieces. Because she asked him, what, like, if what was wrong. My God. He began pounding his fists onto the table over and over while the pieces of the table flew all around the room. Jennifer called her mom to come get her. Her mom drove from the south coast of Newfoundland to come pick her up. They could tell how scared she was. While she waited for her parents to come get her, all Jennifer could do was wonder what could have triggered this fit. And there was no warning signs, no reason at all she could think of that would cause him to become so angry. She was scared, but she felt pity for him. She wanted to help him. Once again, proving the kind of person Jennifer is. She just wanted to help. Jennifer's mother finally arrived in the apartment. She felt safe in St. Albans, but it wasn't long before the phone rang. It was Nelson. He apologized for what happened, but Jennifer did not feel safe returning to Gander. That's the end of the story. She never went back. I wish. If only. If only. The next day, another call. Then another. And again, Nelson was begging Jennifer to go back to Gander. Eventually, Jennifer was swayed. She thought it was just a one-time thing. He will change. She thought she was the only one who could truly help him. Ladies, you'll never change him. You'll never fix him. Her stepdad expressed how he didn't like Nelson, and he could see the warning signs from a mile away. But Jennifer didn't listen. She headed back to Gander, hoping things would be safe. When she arrived back at the apartment in Gander, a brand new coffee table had replaced the broken one. 
like nothing happened. It's like love is blind, truly. Yep. When Jennifer got back from St. Albans, she was only able to stomach dry toast. She wasn't feeling well. She was only able to stomach one bite, and she was vomiting constantly. So she thought it would be best to go to the doctor because clearly something was wrong. She asked Nelson to accompany her to the doctor's office, and he just ignored her. No response. Between her episodes of throwing up, she managed to get herself dressed and get herself ready to walk down Bennett Avenue to see her doctor all by herself. What a class act. The doctor arranged blood work and urine samp- and a urine sample and asked her if there was any chance that Jennifer could be pregnant. She was speechless. So much had happened in the past little while that the thought of being pregnant never crossed her mind. But in retrospect, she realized that it could be possible. The doctor explained to Jennifer that it seemed like the vomiting could actually be morning sickness. So they ordered the testing to make sure. They booked her testing for the next morning and Jennifer proceeded to walk home to the apartment. As she made the 10 minute walk home, Jennifer's mind raced. She was scared. She wondered about Nelson and what kind of father he would be. But she quickly pushed those thoughts aside and became so excited. Jennifer didn't need a doctor to tell her she was pregnant. She already knew. When she got home, Nelson was in his usual spot on the couch watching TV, not even noticing anything going on in the world around him. Jennifer didn't bother telling him about what was going on, and since he didn't care to ask, she kept it to herself. Two days later, she went back to the doctor for the results, and sure enough, Jennifer was pregnant. She was over the moon. She had to wait for the perfect moment to tell Nelson this exciting news. She couldn't believe that they were going to be parents. So Jennifer cooked supper and was trying to figure out when she would tell Nelson. When suddenly at the supper table, she blurted out, Guess what? We're going to need a bigger apartment. I'm pregnant. Nelson pushed his food around his plate and never spoke a word. Jennifer felt extremely uncomfortable and it felt like everything was going in slow motion. She almost felt like she was going to faint. Nelson was not excited. It almost seemed as though he was not happy at all. So they sat there in silence until Jennifer finally asked him if he was going to say something. Nelson responded with, it's all right, I guess. Jennifer was devastated. She was filled with dread. If this was how Nelson reacted to her pregnancy, what would he be like as a father? As the weeks went on, the morning sickness faded. Things were finally starting to look up for Jennifer. Nelson spent most of his time sleeping, which gave Jennifer time to herself to decorate the nursery for the new baby. Nelson started to come around a little bit, and Jennifer could notice him showing a little more emotion when they would be out shopping for baby clothes. But with the only one welfare check between the two of them, they didn't really have much to spend on things for the baby. Jennifer finally had her first ultrasound appointment. She reminded Nelson the night before that the appointment was at 2 p.m. the next day and not to forget. It was finally the day of the appointment, and Jennifer was chugging back water to make sure she had a full bladder for the ultrasound. Around 1 p.m., she thought she was going to burst because she had to pee so bad. That's when Nelson piped up and said he was actually not going to attend the appointment because he was too tired. Of what, you ask? Sleeping all day? (laughs) Being a piece of shit, I guess. Being a piece of shit? Sadly, Jennifer was disappointed, but not surprised. She was heartbroken at the thought of him not being as excited as she hoped, but she still had to go to the doctor appointment with or without Nelson. So with her full bladder, she headed to the doctor once again alone. She walked down that fucking road, sin, pregnant, like about to piss. I can't imagine walking 10 minutes down the road, full piss. I know. Well, like, even when you have to pee really bad, you have to hold it like someone else is in the bathroom. You feel like... Sometimes I just piss my pants if I need to. Oh, Okay. Anyways, moving on. Um, <laughs> she could barely walk. She had to pee so bad. Felt that queen. Been there. <laughs> but she was so excited to finally see her baby. At the appointment, she never took her eyes off this screen. After what felt like an eternity, the ultrasound tech spoke. She showed her the baby's head. And then she showed her a second baby's head. To Jennifer's surprise, she was pregnant with twins. It was something she always dreamed of. Something she always wanted. As expected, Nelson reacted the same way to the news of the twins as he did the news of the pregnancy. He did not give a fuck. Throughout her pregnancy, Nelson did not support her through any of the prenatal classes, so she attended them all alone. 
She walked everywhere she needed to be by herself, and she longed for Nelson's support. By winter 1999, a year before I was born, I was like, how old was I? Four. I have no idea. I, I was five. <laughs> go off. Oh, go off old. I know. <laughs> Jennifer's pregnancy was understandably becoming increasingly more difficult. Being pregnant with twins meant that the doctors wanted to monitor her more closely than a regular pregnancy. There. This meant that she would have more doctor's appointments than usual. One day, it was very slushy in Gander. It was snowing, and the roads were not fit. So Jennifer asked Nelson if she could borrow some money for a cab. All he did was laugh at her and tell her she didn't need to take a cab to the clinic, since it was such a short walk. Then, Nelson got up, got dressed, and left. She didn't need to ask him where he was going, because she knew him. He was going to go play on the slots with his mother. Jennifer was honestly just happy that she didn't have to deal with Nelson for the rest of the day. But unfortunately, she did have to make the walk to the clinic. In bad weather, pregnant with twins, by herself. She found today's walk difficult. Her feet were soaked, she was tired, and the sidewalks were extremely icy. When she finally got to the clinic, it was packed. And she was honestly relieved that she could just sit down and relax while she waited. 45 minutes later, she is in to see her doctor. Her doctor noticed right away how exhausted she looked and questioned if she was taking care of herself. She explained that she had been doing everything the doctor ordered, but had to walk to her appointment by herself today. Naturally, he asked her if her boy why her boyfriend didn't come with her, and then asked if there was anyone who could take her to the appointments or give her rides to the appointments. That was enough for Jennifer. In that moment, she decided she wasn't going to walk to any more appointments. So the very next morning, Nelson agreed to help her look for a car, and she enrolled into driving school. With so much time by herself and no help from Nelson, she was motivated to finally get her driver's license. Jennifer got her driver's license at five months pregnant. Go the fuck off. Yeah, that's boss babe shit. Yeah. She bought a little Chevy for $300, and she, could finally, had, and she finally had the freedom to do what she needed to do. Things were getting easier for her, but as we know, a $300 car was not going to come without its problems. <laughs> so eventually the thing was broken down, and social services didn't provide money to help pay for car repairs. At this point, Jennifer would start to question Nelson about where all the welfare money was going, since they, only pay- they were only paid a week prior and had nothing to show for it. Jennifer assumed it would be gone at the slot machines, but when she would ask Nelson about it, he would always bark at her and tell her it was none of her business. Nelson was also working with the lawyers after the car accident to file a claim against the cab company. According to them, Nelson could end up receiving thousands of dollars in compensation, but at the time, they had no idea if he would even receive that money. Since the car was at a commission, they had to go back to walking everywhere. Jennifer was three weeks away from her due date. They had to walk everywhere. She had to walk everywhere. Her feet were swollen. Her back was shot. She was exhausted. Surprisingly, Nelson had agreed to help her with the chores and errands they had to do. They were off to the grocery store, and luckily, they found a shortcut so it would make things a little easier for Jennifer. As I was writing this, I was actually, my blood was boiling around this part. All right. Take a deep breath because I just know where this is going. It just pisses me off. The couple finished their grocery shopping. They were leaving the store, both of them carrying grocery bags, when all of a sudden, Jennifer drops everything she has in her hands and lurches forward in agony. Jennifer screamed now that she was in labor, and instead of calling an ambulance, Nelson picked up all the grocery bags and they began to walk through the trail to their apartment. Every few steps, Jennifer would buckle over in pain. I can't. I can't. I can't. I feel so fucking bad for her, man. Me too. Her mind was in and out, and she felt like her body was burning all over. She kept insisting that she didn't think she would make it to the apartment, but every time she would pick herself back up and continue on to make it home. Queen. She did make it all the way through the trail, up the stairs, and onto the couch in their apartment. She was so tired she didn't even have the energy to call the hospital. She fell asleep and took a nap. But that nap was short-lived, and a jolt of pain woke Jennifer up. She got up and found the strength to call a cab. She had to get to the hospital. 
She grabbed a bag and walked down the stairs to meet the cab driver, who was who nervously got Jennifer into the car and hurried her up the road to the hospital. She was admitted right away. The twins had dropped, and she had to be monitored by doctors until her C-section. As per usual, she was alone. She spent the next, week's rest- the next week restless in the hospital. She couldn't sleep. She was uncomfortable, and Nelson would call her every 10 minutes, wanting her to come home. Like, what the fuck? Are you dumb? Are you stupid? Him. Oh, my God. I'd be so drove. Imagine if fucking nurses were, like, oh, my God. I would unplug the phone. Like, fuck. good night, Nelson. Get fucked. Okay, so Jennifer begged her doctor to let her go home, as she couldn't rest in the hospital. She only lived five minutes away. Surprisingly, the doctor let her go home, but with strict orders to come back if anything was out of the ordinary. Her doctor even gave her his personal phone number to call during the case of any emergency. So Jennifer headed home, and she slept like a rock. She felt like a new woman the next morning, and she was actually feeling really good. So when her Aunt June asked her if she wanted to go to the store with her, Jennifer couldn't resist the opportunity to look at the baby section. At this point, Jennifer still didn't know the gender of her twins. She wondered what she would be having as she looked through the racks of the newborn baby clothes. This didn't last long, though, as Jennifer started feeling pain in her lower back. So her Aunt June brought her home. Jennifer continued to feel some cramping in her low back that took her breath away, but she wasn't fully convinced it was labor. She thought, oh, it's just some back pain. Like Jennifer babes? Bless her heart. You're in labor. (laughs) Sin. When Jennifer got home, she napped for a few hours, but was awoken with more cramping in her back. She then felt a wave of nausea. She, She barely made it to the bathroom in time. When she vomited, she knew it was time to call the doctor. She called. Voicemail. The message said he was at the clinic that night, and Jennifer, with no other choice, decided to make the walk to see her doctor. So she, so in Gander, the doctor clinic is like down the road, from, like behind, mm-hmm. down the road from the apartment, and the hospital is on the other side of the apartment, up the highway. So like, doctor's office here, hospital, hospital there. But she, so the doctor's office is kind of in between, but it's still like it is like five ten minute walk from where mm-hmm. she lives. But like, what the fuck. Yeah. Sin. Anyways. As soon as her doctor as soon as her doctor saw her, he told the nurse to get Jennifer on the table right away. They were surprised to see Jennifer was five centimeters dilated. What? Yup. He couldn't believe she walked there. What? She was five centimeters dilated. Her that's why she was having cramps in her lower back. Her hip bones were fucking moving. <laughs> so Nelson was with her at this point, by the oh way. Oh, my God. <laughs> the one time Nelson's with her. Holy fuck, oh, man. So her doctor asked Nelson to go to the payphone and call a cab right away. There was no time to waste, and they needed to get Jennifer to the hospital ASAP. Her doctor called up to the hospital to let them know that she was on the way so they could, they could prepare for her arrival. And he assured Jennifer that everything was going to be okay. Meanwhile, Nelson still hadn't called a cab. And when the doctor realized... He was furious. He yelled at Nelson that this was serious and he needed to get Jennifer to the hospital. It was no joke. She's literally actively in labor here. Literally dilated. I'm scared. Halfway there. Halfway dilated. That's insanity. A few minutes pass and the doctor is helping Jennifer outside while praying that there is a cab waiting there. They walk through the doors and Nelson is is outside, stood up outside. Sorry. (laughs) Nelson is out... (laughs) Nelson is stood up outside. There are two women in the parking lot getting into their cars when they see Jennifer and and they ask Nelson if she's okay. Jennifer tells them that she's waiting for a cab to bring her to the hospital so she can have her babies. The women spring into action and load her and Nelson into the back seat of their car. Finally, they were off to emerge. Like, (laughs) she should have just stayed at the fucking hospital, but Nelson was like, come home. Yeah. Like, for what? As soon as they arrived at the hospital, nurses were already waiting by the doors to get Jennifer into a wheelchair and bring her down the hallway to prep her for surgery. As she looked back to see if Nelson was coming with her, she saw him wandering off into a different hallway in an opposite direction. I would be fucking livid, man. This is a joke. I, this man isn't real. The only thing that mattered at this point were the twins. But Jennifer was in and out. She was groggy, and unfortunately, she had a reaction to the anesthetic. Oh. She didn't come. She didn't come to until the next morning. Jennifer remembered one thing from the fog she endured during the birth of her babies. As she remembered the nurse saying, 
The girls are fine, but you need to rest. She called the nurse when she woke up. She asked if they were girls, if they were okay, if she could see them. She tried to sit up, but was in a load of pain from her C-section. But none of that mattered when a little bed appeared from around the corner. Two little girls, healthy with dark hair, wearing yellow hospital pajamas. The nurses put the girls in, on Jennifer's chest, and it was a moment like no other. It was perfect. She named them Karen and Krista Hart. Jennifer was so excited that the first thing she said when she was that she wanted to put them in their own pajamas. She couldn't wait to take care of her girls. Finally, she was a mom. <sighs> Bro. I'm like tearing up I already. know, same. Yeah, okay. Same. I need to take a little moment. All right. All right. All right. Now we're going to fast forward a little. The girls are now three months old, and the family of four has moved in moved into NL housing, which was nice. They no longer had to live in a tiny apartment. Once again, Jennifer had packed and moved everything with no help from Nelson. Her sister, Penny, helped unpack and settle into the new house. While helping, Penny noticed Nelson wasn't acknowledging the twins. After about one week, they were pretty settled into their new home. Jennifer had been working nonstop to get the chores done. Penny invited Jennifer to join her at the store to give her a break from the house. Jennifer wasn't sure about leaving the girls alone with Nelson, as she had never left them alone with him before. But Penny's husband offered to stay and help. While at the store, Penny mentioned that she noticed Nelson never picked up, changed, or fed the girls. Penny was curious if he was always like this, or if it was only while guests were around. Jennifer says he was always that way. He acted like he needed more attention than the girls. <laughs> Jennifer said, It's like he's getting mad at me for taking care of them. I can tell by the look on his face. To be honest, I think he believes the girls should be able to take care of themselves, even though they're only three months old. Jennifer started getting a weird feeling while at the store, and so she decided it was time to head back home. Before they, could, before they even opened the door, Jennifer could already hear the girls crying. Nelson was sitting on the couch, and the girls were both crying in their playpen. Karen and Krista were in desperate need of a diaper change. Jennifer started yelling at Nelson, asking, Why couldn't you change their shitty diapers? Nelson snapped back, I'm not changing them. That's your job. After Jennifer cleaned up the girls and prepared for supper, the girls started crying again. This time they were hungry. Nelson complained about Jennifer not having supper started and was rushing her to feed Karen because she was getting on his nerves. The Why don't baby. you get the fuck up and do something then? Nelson said something along the lines of, I think you cares about them youngsters more than you cares about me. Well, yes. can you blame her? As spring approached, the weather was warming up. Jennifer had bought a second-hand stroller for the twins, and she was excited to get out and try it out for the first time. Nelson's mother and Jennifer geared the girls up to go out for a nice stroll. They were going to cross the road to the sidewalk, but as Jennifer pushed the stroller onto the sidewalk, the wheel fell off. Thankfully, Nelson's mother caught the stroller in time to make sure, sure the girls were safe. Nelson's mother helped Jennifer get the girls home safe and sound, and once they were settled, his mother went home. Jennifer told Nelson she would have to call the people who sold her the stroller because the girls could have been killed. That's when Nelson admitted to breaking the fucking stroller. <laughs> Jennifer couldn't believe him at first, but then he said he didn't want her leaving the house with the girls. He expected them to always stay at home. Jennifer was furious with him, but he simply ignored her. At this point, she knew deep down that the right thing to do was to leave the father of her children. And in true abusive relationship fashion, the next morning, Jennifer woke up to a takeout breakfast, a plastic rose, sitting in the vase at the end of the table. Jennifer decided to, put the, decided to put the events from the day before behind her. It just He really outdid himself with that one. I just feel so fucking bad for her because, Same. like, obviously, you know, Colleen wrote this book with Jennifer. Mm -hmm. And it just, there's so many times where she's like, I should have left him, I should have left him, I should have left him. And she didn't. But, like, mm -hmm. anyone anyone says any shit about Jennifer. I know. You, you're quick to say, I would have done this, I would have done that. You don't know what it's You're not so like. smart when you're in the situation. Yeah, it's like, anyways... Can't even, we'll discuss that later. Mm -hmm. When the girls turned four months old, 
Jennifer decided she would never have any more children with Nelson. Her final straw was when Jennifer asked Nelson if he could pick up Karen for a few minutes while she fed Krista. He screamed at her to shut up and then kicked a hole through the door. It took some convincing, but her doctor finally agreed to get her an appointment to get her tubes tied. So as time went on, Jennifer kind of started discussing marriage with Nelson, talking about how... The kids would wonder why they didn't have the same last name. Yeah, but, you know... Nelson's proposal was just as disappointing as he was. And that was very... <laughs> no grand gesture. No romance. Jennifer couldn't even remember how she... Like, he asked her. That's how... Like... What the fuck? I know. So plain Jane of him. Nelson also told Jennifer there would be no invitations set out, as they would be getting married in the courthouse, and they or they wouldn't be getting married at all. So he told this woman that she would not be getting the wedding she always dreamed of. No dress, no cere- like ceremony, no venue, like just courthouse document. Bye. Like, all she could think about was how cute the girls would look. I guess flower girls, girls. and he just wanted the marriage. To be legalized before the girl's first birthday, which at the time in December was only a month away. Nelson's attitude towards the ceremony made it very difficult for Jennifer to be excited. She knew deep down that he didn't really care to be married at all. Jennifer recalls the day of her wedding like any other. She got up, fed the girls, and did the housework. She did spend some extra time on her makeup and hair. She said, why Why not I just pamper myself, make myself feel special for once? God love her. <sighs> she arrived to the wedding wearing her best t-shirt and best pair of jeans, even though they were nothing to brag about. She, But she refused to be upset or sad on a day that she had dreamt about for so long. She met her sister and nieces at the courthouse, signed the papers. Nelson followed, and that was that. She was officially Jennifer Hart. No honeymoon followed. Yeah. Well, oh, God, I hate this man. <sighs> That's so disappointing. I like know. She just, all she wanted... Was a family. Was a family to be married. Like, that's all she wanted. It's fucking heartbreaking. I know. It's really sad. Okay. So, in April of 2002, Jennifer and Nelson moved to PEI because Jennifer's sister, Suze, had um, lined up some work for them at the fish plant she had also worked at. And... Not too long after, like around a month later, they did end up moving back yeah. to Gander because Nelson didn't want to work. Nelson quit by the fourth day. Oh, yeah. What's and, the fourth day? And um, the girls started getting like uh, separation anxiety from Jennifer, Jennifer yeah. being away because she was the one who was working then. And so they just, it just wasn't working. So when they got back from PEI, Nelson. Didn't have anything lined up for them. Didn't have anywhere for any of no. anywhere for them to live. No. They tried to um, like line something up with social services, but it would take a little while yeah, for them to approve the prepared, apartment. Yeah. So that's when Nelson's mother proposed the idea of like them living with Nelson's brother, yeah, Mervin, and Nelson did not like that idea. No, because he. Started getting super jealous over Mervyn, mm-hmm. saying that Mervyn was trying to get with Jennifer because there was an already mm-hmm. ready-made family. Yeah. So Freak. Nelson actually cut his mom off for a little while mm-hmm. after this, even though like they were super close and stuff. He like stopped talking to her for a little while, wouldn't let her see the girls and all that. So yeah, they stayed in a hotel, I guess, until they ended up getting approved. For um, an apartment, and then they did move back into the Edgewood Apartments in yeah. June 2002. On August 4th, 2002, Nelson told Jennifer he'd take the girls to the park as she got ready for the day. So, like, the day before this, Nelson and Jennifer took the girls out to the playground, and then they went down to this place called Little Harbor, which is, like, five minutes outside of Gander, and it's, like... a it, honestly, when I was younger, when I was, like, a teenager, like, we'd go swimming there all the time. And, like, it was, like, a really nice day. They all went for ice cream. Like, they had a yeah. wicked day. And, like, when they got back home, the girls were beat. Like Yeah. And But while they were there, he was just, like, staring at the water. Mm-hmm. Almost like he was thinking of something. Yeah. Dirty bastard. Yeah. So, oh, before we get into it. Yeah. 
They were also, this was during the time, I was actually in Gander when this happened as a child. Um, this is the time of year in Gander where they have the Festival of Flights. So they have like a week of like events. There's like um, Thomas Amusements is usually there during that time. They have all oh, kinds yeah. of like Gander Days, another thing, they have, like concerts cool. and stuff. But they have this thing called the Derby. So it's like just cars just driving into each other. So they're actually getting ready to go to the Derby. So as Jennifer was getting ready, mm-hmm. Nelson said he would take the girls to the park. As she wrapped a towel around her wet hair, Nelson came into the apartment frantically screaming out to her. Her life as she knew it was over. Chris says in the water and I can't find Karen, said Nelson. All Jennifer could say was, what are you talking about? Then he said, the girls are in the lake. As they ran to the car, Nelson said, I just remembered Karen is in the car. And she was not. Then he said he left her down at Little Harbor which is the lake, and then he drove off. Like, none of this made sense. Yeah. Jennifer knew something was off because Nelson was unable to, like, keep straight answers or keep the story straight or give her, like, actual answers. Like, he was, like, all over the place. Like, clearly she was not in the car. Yeah, Jennifer didn't know what the fuck was going on. She just knew that the girls were... Nelson said the girls were in the water and they weren't in the car. So Nelson and Jennifer got in the car and they started to drive towards Little Harbor Mm -hmm. and... Jennifer said, like, she, the car didn't feel like it was moving fast enough. They finally made the turn off the Trans-Canada Highway to the dirt road leading to Little Harbor. Jennifer ran to the water, barely giving the car enough time to stop. Like, she literally almost fell because she got out of the car before it was even in park. And when she ran down to the water, Nelson said he was going to get help. As she reached the wharf, she saw her daughter's shirt. Realizing the shirt was... When she got closer to the water, it was her daughter, Krista, and she was still alive. She felt helpless, and she, like, tried to grab a stick so she could, She was, like, around, like, trying to grab sticks to, like, poke her in. Suddenly, there was no more movement from Krista, and she was face down. She called for Karen, but she was nowhere to be seen. Where was Nelson? Jennifer felt like she'd been waiting too long for him to come back. Was he wasting time? Asshole, I hate him. He definitely was, like, parked somewhere not doing anything. Um, Jennifer ran into the woods searching for Karen. She heard sirens, so she knew they would be there quick enough to help Krista. But to no avail, there was no sign of Karen anywhere. Soon a paramedic showed up and told Jennifer that she needed to go with them. At first she refused. She wasn't leaving without finding Karen. The paramedic told her Krista needed her at the hospital and promised to inform her with anything they knew. She watched as a paramedic walked into the water and picked up her daughter's tiny body. Krista, who was once so full of life, lay limp in a stranger's arms. As Jennifer stood in shock, she wondered if Krista's body had floated closer to the shore while she searched for Karen in the woods. Jennifer climbed into the back of the ambulance with her daughter, thinking the movements from her body were little hints of encouragement. She refused to believe that this was the end of her daughter's short life. The paramedics asked her not to touch Krista due to all the wires and IVs, and and Jennifer dared not touch her just in case something did go wrong. The trip to the hospital was a blur, which is also was not a very far drive. No. Like, Little Harbor to the hospital is, like, is literally, like, when we go out that way, I'll show you. It's so, everything's so close together. Anyways. The trip to the hospital was a blur for Jennifer, as she hoped it was a dream. When they finally arrived to the hospital, Nelson was already inside waiting. Almost like he never went to get help. Maybe, like, I don't know. It doesn't... It just, like, doesn't make sense how he was already there when he was supposed to be searching to get help, you know? I know he did call Mervyn um, when all of this happened. And Mervyn probably called the fucking ambulance, to be honest with you. The attendants took Krista into a separate room, and the doctors brought both Nelson and Jennifer into a family room. There were no vital signs on Krista, but the doctor was not giving up that easily. They began full cardiopulmonary resuscitation into her lungs to try and restart her heart. Krista was cold, and they tried warming her up. About an hour and 15 minutes later, they finally got a heartbeat at 12.22 p.m. But there was still no pulse. Dr. Loy's son continued the cardiac 
compressions until six minutes later, there was finally a pulse. Tests began on the function of her lungs and kidneys, and they came back reasonably well. But Krista had suffered extreme brain damage. While all this was taking place, Karen's body had been found on the opposite side of the cove and was brought in 45 minutes after her sister. Unfortunately, Karen was pronounced dead upon arrival. Constable Terry Trainer was with the RCMP Major Crime Unit in Gander on the morning of August 4th, 2002. Once he, provided, once he was provided with the details of what happened, he quickly headed to the hospital. He and another officer first went to see Karen's body where they took photographs. Constable Trainer then gave the directions to ensure neither Nelson or Jennifer could have access to either of their children unless they were accompanied by a police officer. We are transferring Krista to the Janeway Children's Hospital in St. John's. Jennifer tried to keep it together. The police wanted to speak with both herself and Nelson while Krista was being moved to St. John's. Jennifer was still worried about Karen. The police hadn't informed her of Karen's death yet. Jennifer and Nelson were taken in separate vehicles to the police station. Jennifer felt sick as she tried her best to go over details of what happened with Constable Latang. Nelson was questioned for multiple hours until he was eventually taken back to the lake to go over his version of events. The police recommended that Jennifer stay at the station and get some rest, but all she wanted to do was go home. She had no idea how she got back to the apartment, but Nelson was already there when police escorted her back in. So were her father, her sister, and her brother-in-law. I feel like Nelson just, like, fucking appears everywhere. Like, he's like a goddamn vampire from hell. Anyways... The next day, when Jennifer arrived to the hospital, she was told that Crystal was not going to make it and that they needed to take her off life support. But first, before she said her goodbyes, she was taken to see Karen's body. She picked up the body of her once bubbly three-year-old and hugged her one last time. She passed her daughter to Nelson, who looked her up and down, then passed her back to Jennifer and left the room showing no emotion. Jennifer was beyond heartbroken and could not make sense of anything. Like, he, like, <laughs> just looks at her, doesn't hug her, doesn't, like... She, and Jennifer is, like, gone. Yeah, and he's just there, like, oh, trash. It's fucked up, man. Soon enough, it was time to organize everything for the young girl's funeral. The past few days had become a blur to Jennifer as she stood in her young daughter's room, picking out what they would wear to their own funeral. Jennifer stood in the room, looking at all the matching outfits, when she picked out green dresses and said, That's what I want them to wear. They're also going to be needing shoes. Her sister said, No need to worry about that. They don't put shoes on a body. I didn't like... Anyways. Then Jennifer said, My girls will be wearing shoes. Now take me to the mall to buy them. I can't. I know. I know. I know. Jennifer picked through nearly every pair of shoes at the store when she finally settled on a pair of Winnie the Pooh sandals for each of them. Man. I know. The Winnie the Pooh. This part's so fucking sad. I know. After it was time to decide which caskets they would use... Sorry. <laughs> I'm like, I I'm didn't, crying. didn't use any punctuation. Ugh. I find this part so hard to talk about. The funeral? Yeah. It's so fucked. It's so fucked. Do you want to take a second? <sighs> no, I'm all right. When I wrote out the Winnie the Pooh thing, I cried last I night, know, too. It was really sad. It's too real. When I read it, I've read the book, like, literally four times now. It's still, like, that part kills me every time. All right. After that, it was time to decide which caskets they would use. They had to be white. There was a white one available in Gander, but it was only one. And that was not going to be good enough. Jennifer had the funeral home tracked down the matching casket, and only four kilometers away, at least the girls would have the caskets that she wanted for them. Although Jennifer was both mentally and physically exhausted, she could not sleep. Her sisters wanted to talk to her, but that was the last thing she was doing. Life and everything in it was becoming one giant blur to her. She came to when she heard the rattling of bags, and she asked Nelson and her sister what they were going, 
what they were doing, and her sister said, Nelson thought it would be best to get rid of the girl's things so I didn't, so it didn't upset you. Jennifer was livid. Everything down to the last sock meant the world to her. She told them they had five minutes to return everything as it was. Like, not, they didn't even have the fucking funeral yet, and he's there trying to throw out all their fucking right? clothes. Right? Like, also, there was a thing. Jennifer was wondering, like, where their car seats were. And um, he had thrown them out. Like, he had thrown the girls' car seats in yeah, the dump. The, the cops told her that they... Were, yeah, that, that they he were did it, like, on the day that they died. Yeah. <sighs> the funeral home was a maze of people in tears. They all said things that sounded the same, but through it all, she kept an eye on Karen and Krista. Towards the end of the service, she could see that their hair had been ruffled from mourners who touched and kissed them, and she didn't like it. When the last person left, her sister looked at Jennifer and said, it's time to go. But as soon as they had left, Jennifer walked straight over to the electric outlet and plugged in a curling iron. Her sister was confused, but could see that Jennifer was determined. She curled their hair and made sure every strand was in place. She fixed their clothes and looked over them until she was totally satisfied and that they were perfect. Then she said, okay, I'm ready to go. No. That's the fucking saddest thing ever. I know. Fuck. When Jennifer ended up back home, she took one of those little white pills and then the darkness came quickly. She would need rest to be ready for the funeral. The next thing Jennifer knew, she was sitting in a church, looking around, unsure why she was even there. She had a good idea that lapses of time, or that the time, or the lapses were probably because of the pills, and they were helping numb the pain. Yeah, so she was, like, prescribed a sedative at the hospital. She's also in complete shock. I know. And just went through a super traumatic event, so, like... Yeah. Well, like, just time doesn't exist for her. I know, right yeah. Now. During the middle of a prayer, Jennifer screamed out, I want, my, I want my youngsters back. Stop this. I want them back. It took a very strong family member to hold, and, hold her back and lead her away from the cemetery before she collapsed. For the next few days, Jennifer tried her best to return to her, her routine. She was back to her daily housework. Slowly, Jennifer was trying her best to pick up the pieces and trying to understand everything that happened. The first of her chores was making sure that everything that belonged to the girls was kept safe. Jennifer asked Nelson what happened to the cards from the funeral. He told her they were in the car and also decided to let her know that he had spent all the money he was given. Like, people brought cards to the funeral and he spent all of it. Mm -hmm. She was like... Where are the cards? And he was like, in the car. And then she was like, and the money? He was like, I spent the money. Gone. Use your welfare check for groceries. Get fucked. Jennifer decided if she really needed to go for a walk to clear her mind. But Nelson was hell-bent on making her stay at home. Because he was what? A cunt. At this point, Jennifer did not give a single fuck about what Nelson wanted. And told him that she wanted to be alone. He followed her down the stairs and out of the door... And called her a son of a bitch, because she wouldn't listen to him. She snapped back at him and told her to leave her alone. But that was when Nelson said, I've got something in the back of my head that I'm going to take to my grave. This was the first time Jennifer asked if he had done something to the girls. But it wasn't the last time that Nelson would say this. Oh my god, like... So fucked. All right. I think he's a big, fat bitch. Yeah, he's a fucking idiot. One thing we didn't talk about when we were uh, talking about when the girls were alive was that one time Jennifer did leave Nelson home alone <laughs> with the girl. This is... We're not trying to laugh, but this is... This is fucked. So fucked and out of this dimension world universe fucking crazy... That you can't do anything but laugh. So she left him alone with the girls, and she went to the store or something. And when she came back, she wasn't gone for very long. He li he made her go to the grocery store herself. And when she came back, <laughs> the girls were 
there and there was shit smeared all there was their diapers were open on the floor and there was shit smeared all over the walls but it was like six feet yeah, up so on the walls. far up the walls that those children there was no way that they were <laughs> two-year-olds so nelson goddamn Hart was in the house smearing shit from his daughter's diapers all over the walls like what kind of sick fuck maniac like what <laughs> It's very. I can't. That I, just goes to show, like, what kind of person Nelson Hart is. There was definitely mental issues going on. Like, yeah, I've got a lot of mental issues, but I don't smear my shit on the walls, man. Like, come on. And the day that happens, and blamed it on his kids. I know. Girl. Anyways. Well, guys, we're gonna we're gonna leave it here. Uh, little cliffhanger. Little cliffy. Keep an eye out for part two because this is so goddamn big. We have to split it up in two. This Mister Big. Yeah, this is so Mr. Big. We have to split it up in two. So thank you for watching part one, and we hope you guys come back. Check out part two. Anyways, I'll let you end it off. We'll be talking next week. (laughs) 